You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke. This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12. If you're using one of the Red Pew Bibles nearby, we're going to be on page 924. You can also find all of today's scripture verses and so much more in the YouVersion Bible app. Just find today's event under the More tab and you can find all the details in there. Today we are going to be looking at the parable of the rich fool. You can find this in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, as we continue our series going through some of Jesus' potent parables that he shared while he was here on the earth. Luke chapter 12, starting in the 13th verse, says, Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do, since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said, I'll, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods, stored up for many years, take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Verse 21 says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray one more time before we dive in here together this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this potent parable that we get to learn from today. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and ears to hear your voice today. Show us your word and what you would have us learn today. Lord, help me to handle your text rightly. Use me to speak through me today to our church, to our faith family, and those in the room with us today or watching online. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's kind of set the stage here, look at kind of what's going on as we launched into the middle of a conversation here. Uh, it actually kind of starts at the beginning of verse 12. Thousands of people have gathered around Jesus. In the opening verses of chapter 12, Luke tells us that it is standing room only. In fact, in verse 1, he says that people are trampling over one another. Amongst all the chaos, all the commotion of the crowd, Jesus is attempting to have a conversation with his disciples about the importance of acknowledging Christ. We'll come back to that later. But in the meantime, in the middle of this conversation, someone raises their hand, approaches Jesus, and asks him to help settle a dispute between his brother and him. Which just goes to show that throughout all of history, it doesn't matter who you're talking to or what you're talking about, there's always that one person who asks this off-the-wall question that completely disrupts the conversation and derails everything. And we see that here in verse 13. Look back at verse 13 with me. It says, someone, luckily for him he's none named, from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, Jesus said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And looking at verse 13, it appears that Jesus is not interested in getting involved in this dispute. Now remember, our number one rule when examining Scripture is to consider the original context of the text. Now with that in mind, we need to remember that during this time period, it was very common for a rabbi to act as a mediator 
over financial disputes between Jews. Oftentimes, the issues would be settled in a synagogue by the rabbi himself. So in reality, Jesus had no authority to arbitrate a dispute like this. Hence his response, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Also, it's fair to assume that Jesus did not feel the need to get involved in this dispute because this matter paled in comparison to Christ's primary mission of telling the others about the kingdom of God while he was here on earth. This could have been a key factor in why Jesus was hesitant to involve himself in this dispute. It's possible that he did not want to be detracted from his primary mission while he was here. Either way, as a well-thought-of and skilled teacher, Jesus was viewed by this man as an authority who might be able to help him settle his personal matter. But in addition to not serving as a Jewish rabbi and being focused on telling others about the kingdom of God, I would contend that a primary reason that Jesus did not want to get involved in this dispute, even though I'm confident he probably had a really good answer for the man, is because Jesus knew at the center of this man's heart the center of the dispute was his personal greed. Look at what Jesus says in verse 15. He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Without skipping a beat, Jesus tells the man, watch out. Don't let your greed consume you. I don't know what these brothers were fighting over, but it's quite clear that they were arguing over more than just a box of milk duds. They're fighting over their parents' inheritance. Now, since we don't have all the details, all we can do is speculate on what the value of this inheritance might have been or why this particular brother was so upset. Based on Jewish customs, it's quite possible that the brother who approached Jesus is the younger brother. Oftentimes, it was customary for the older brother to receive as much as twice what the younger brother received. It's very possible that this issue has made this guy so distraught that he has not received what his brother has. We don't know what the issue is for certain, but we can be confident that this man's greed is at the center of whatever it is. Because in addition to his warning against being consumed with greed, Jesus follows up with a parable about hoarding that is only found here in Luke's Gospel. There's no record of this parable in any of the other three Gospels. But here in Luke's narrative, it serves as a powerful response to this man's complaint. Let's read... Jesus' parable again together this morning. Look with me at verse 16. Jesus says, he then told him a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops. I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all of my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is for the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Even though Jesus does not take the time to resolve this man's dispute, he goes on to share a potent parable concerning greed. The main character in our parable is a man whose crops have done exceedingly well. So well, in fact, that he decides to tear down his existing barns, in which he normally stores all his crops come harvest time, and build even bigger barns in an effort to contain everything. In this parable, there are three key character traits I want you to see about our main character. The first one is that this man was greedy. This man was a greedy 
person. Our main character is literally consumed with greed. Here it is harvest time, and the man is having a banner year. As far as he's concerned, he's just hit the jackpot. I mean, the dude is tearing down his existing barns to build bigger ones, because the barns he has just aren't cutting it. His barns are bursting at the seams, and there's even more harvest being brought in every day, more crops from the fields each and every day. Praise God, right? Wouldn't that be what you're saying? Praise God. This man is incredibly blessed. That's what I'd be seeing. I'd be saying, praise God. If the Lord were to end the drought here that we've been suffering with these past few years, I don't know about you, but I'd be praising God. If we continue to get tremendous amounts of snow, I might not be praising God while I'm out shoveling this afternoon, but come springtime as the snow starts to melt on the mountains and flow down the hills, fills our lakes, our reservoirs, our creeks, I'd be praising God. If we had to go down to Main Street on Bountiful and start putting out sandbags to protect our neighbors' businesses and their homes, I'd be praising God from whom all blessings flow. This guy's crops have been so incredibly productive that he has to tear down, tear down his current barns and build bigger barns, larger barns, just to contain it all. Not only that, but he's got so much harvest coming in, it looks like he's going to be able to retire early. Verse 19 tells us that with the bigger barns, he will be able to store up goods for years, so many years, that he can kick his feet up, take it easy, enjoy himself for many years to come. So obviously, this guy would be praising God because his blessings are overflowing. At least he should be. However, in looking at our parable, it's quite clear that he is not praising God. Ironically, it's quite the opposite. This man isn't praising God. He's praising himself. This guy's 110% focused on himself. In fact, when I read this parable, I read 15 self-centered words in this portion of Scripture. I've circled all of them in my Bible. Did you pick up on those? Let's read it again together and see if you can find them. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Me, 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 mine, mine, mine. When we read this parable, not only do we see how incredibly greedy this man is, we also see that he's selfish. He sounds like the seagulls off Finding Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. That's the second thing I want you to see this morning. In addition to being greedy, this man was clearly selfish. There's nothing in this parable to indicate this man cared about anything else other than himself. You don't hear the words Lord in there. You don't hear God. You don't hear thank you. He only cares about himself. He isn't giving any of his excess produce or grains to the local food bank. He's not selling his extra crops to the grocery stores so that they can then turn around and use his proceeds to give to nonprofits who care and clothe for the homeless. Rather, he's spending more money and more energy tearing down his current barns so that he can build bigger ones and store the overabundance of food that he has been blessed with. Now, maybe you're sitting here today 
or maybe you're listening online, and you're thinking to yourself, what's wrong with that? Doesn't God want us to take care of our needs? God blessed him with a profitable harvest. Isn't it his to do however he wants? Aren't we supposed to be responsible and take care of our own needs? There is a major difference between taking care of our needs, being responsible with the blessings that God has given us, and completely neglecting everyone else in this world, including God. This man isn't living generously. He doesn't care about others. In fact, he's putting all his hopes and dreams into the things of this world and its material possessions, which is the dumbest thing he could possibly do. Look at how Jesus concludes this parable. Jesus says in verse 20, But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself. It's not rich towards God. It's one thing to be fiscally responsible. It's another to rob God completely. This man has been laser-focused on himself and stored up for himself earthly treasures. Not only that, but he has also robbed God in the process. He has done all this in an effort to obtain his own security, to obtain enough wealth so that he can finally rest and enjoy his life. As a result, God tells him that he is a fool. That's the third thing I wanted to see about our main character this morning. He's a fool. This guy was foolish. This guy has put all his eggs in one basket, which is really dangerous with today's economy. <laughs> but he's put all his hope and trust into his material possessions, into everything he owns. What he fails to understand is that his worldly wealth can disappear in a minute. A fire could break out in his barns and all his crops could burn to the ground and be gone within a second. Then what would he have to show for himself? Or even worse, he could lose his life and be forced to leave all his material gains aside. Immediately, everything that he owns would belong to someone else. And that is exactly what happens to this man. God says to him, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. As a result, everything that he has been saving for himself, all the resources that he's stored up for himself for a rainy day, in an instant, it all belongs to someone else, becomes someone else's possession, someone else's rainy day fund. That's the point that Jesus is trying to convey to us through his parable. We can't take any of this with us into eternity. We can't take this stuff with us when we go. When we die, we leave everything in this world behind. I've yet to see a U-Haul as part of a funeral possession. <laughs> I live right behind the Bountiful Cemetery, and when I look out at the funerals taking place outside my kitchen window, I never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take this stuff with you into eternity. Although, I know Crystal, Crystal would love to bury me with all my stuff. <laughs> I love my worldly treasures. I love my doodads and my knickknacks and my what's-its. I love all my stuff. But when I die... Boom, they instantly all become hers. <laughs> and she is so happy about it. <laughs> so what's the point? What's the point? Jesus ends our parable by simply explaining that if you store up treasures for yourself here on earth, and you do not have God, one day you're going to find that your life is completely empty. One day it's all going to be gone. 
One day it will all be taken away from you and you will be left with nothing. As a result, we need to guard our hearts and stand watch against all greed. Because if we don't, it will surely quickly consume us. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we should care for others. Not just ourselves. As Christians, we should have a desire to give back cheerfully and give generously of all the blessings that the Lord has given us. Last week, God's word challenged us to be faithful stewards of the talents he has given us. This includes so many different things from gifts to abilities to opportunities to resources, so much more. If you missed that message, I would encourage you to go back and watch that online or, or go to Matthew 25 and read the parable of the talents that we looked at last week. In last week's parable, Jesus challenged us to be faithful stewards. And in today's parable, he is calling on us to resist our sinful desire to be greedy, selfish, and foolish. The man in today's parable was completely consumed with greed. The problem wasn't that he was wealthy. The problem was that he loved his belongings more than he loved God. Do you love your possessions more than you love God? Do you own your belongings? Or do your belongings own you? The Bible doesn't say that having a ton of money is evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. When we start to become consumed with our material wealth or our status in this world, it's easy to start to neglect God and lose sight of our true purpose here on earth. Christ's primary mission here on earth was to tell others that the kingdom of God is near. And for the Christian, that mission is the same. The reason that greed is a problem, Jesus says, is because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. The statement from verse 15 by Christ is so contradictory to the world. This biblical truth from God's word goes against everything that we hear from the world around us. In fact, when you stop and think about it, this statement might leave you feeling conflicted, bewildered, confused, or maybe even lost. It's unclear how to describe it. This statement from Christ that our lives are not in the abundance of our possessions clashes with every other voice out there. This past week, my wife met with a new friend for coffee. As they were meeting, her friend asked her if she had any big hopes and dreams which my wife said all her dreams and hopes were answered when she married me. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know what she said. I can't remember her response. But I remember Crystal asked her friend the same question. Did she have any big hopes and dreams? I remember her friend's response. I just want financial freedom. Financial freedom. That's a pretty common dream. It might seem impossible today, but that's pretty, that's pretty common. Many of us in the room might even have that dream. Financial freedom. That's the American dream, right? Financial freedom. The American dream is financial freedom. However, Christ came to give you spiritual freedom. And you can't put a price tag on that. Christ came to give us spiritual freedom. This doesn't mean that we have the freedom to sin, but we have the freedom from sin. As Christians, we have the freedom from the sin debt that binds us, the chains that are bound around us. 
I mentioned at the beginning of our time together this morning that prior to this parable on the rich fool, Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples about the importance of acknowledging Christ. I'd like to turn your attention back to that conversation now. If you still have your Bibles open to Luke, I'd like to invite you to look at Luke 12, starting in the 8th verse. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says in verse 8, I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This life is full of decisions one of which carries weight with it like none other. There's a choice in this life that each one of us must make here on earth, and it carries with it an eternal consequence. Will you acknowledge Christ as Lord, not just of this world, but of your life? Will you commit to following him and serving him all the days of your life? Or will you make the decision to reject him in this life and deny him I read a quote from John MacArthur this week that says, only a fool says no to Christ and then rolls the dice against eternity. The man in our parable was a fool because he put his hope in the things of this world rather than the saving power of Jesus Christ. If we confess with our sins, 1 John 1.9 says, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that God is faithful to forgive us our sins there's one sin that he will not forgive. That's the sin of rejecting him, turning your back on him. We don't get to turn our back on God in this life and then ask him to accept us on the other side of eternity. If you've been running away from God, today's the day to stop. Turn around. Repent of your sins and follow him. Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, 25, I and the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life? If that's you today, if you're done rejecting God, and you're ready to follow him and live for him, let's have a conversation today about what it means to surrender your life over to Christ and experience the true freedom that comes only in him. In today's parable, we read a story about a man who was greedy, selfish, and foolish because he stored up treasure for himself, and he was not rich towards God. The man was incredibly blessed, so much, in fact, that he believed he was set for life. Little did he realize his life would end that day after which everything that he owned would in turn belong to someone new. The man was set for life. But for which life? If we were to read the book of Ecclesiastes, we would find that in the end, the things of this world are futile. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells his readers that everything is futile. Therefore, he says, I hated life. Because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. 
for everything is futile in the pursuit of the wind. I hated all my work that I labored for under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will take over all of my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. My question for you this morning is where is your heart? What are your priorities? If we live our lives like the man in today's parable, storing up treasures for ourselves, we're only going to find our lives lacking. In the end, everything in this world is futile. Church, I really wrestled with this text this week. Not because I suffer from greed, which I do, but because I had so much more that I wanted to share with you. Jesus goes on from this parable to share so much more with his disciples. If Pastor Brian weren't coming back in a couple of weeks, we'd immediately launch into a series through the book of Luke just so I could share it all with you. I filled up a five-gallon bucket this week of everything I wanted to share with you. And then I cried as the Lord handed me a thimble and said, give them this. I had so much more that I wanted to share with you this week. But I don't want to dishonor God's word by preaching more than what's in this text. And I don't want to rob you from the powerful truth that's found in this parable by muddying the waters with all the other treasures I found. (laughs) That being said, I'd encourage you to go back, read all of chapter 12, and then keep reading your Bible. It's amazing. There's so much in here. I'm not going to share everything I discovered this week, but I do want to share this. Jesus finishes our parable today talking about treasure and the man who stored up treasure for himself. Then, in the very next pericope, he turns to his disciples and talks even more about treasure. In the very next portion of Scripture, Jesus goes on to talk to his disciples about their needs and how God knows their needs before they do. Let's pick up that conversation now in verse 29. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink. Don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Brothers and sisters, where is your treasure hidden this morning? Where is your heart? What are your priorities? What is the most important thing to you today? Is it financial freedom or spiritual freedom? Worldly wealth or eternal peace? Are you filled with contentment or are you riddled with anxiety? Let's leave here today God-focused rather than self-focused. Guard your hearts in Christ against all greed. The abundance of our lives is not found in our earthly possessions, but rather in God's everlasting promise. 
that an eternity is waiting for those with Christ who love him and are called by his name. Bringing rich towards God means that we are living to glorify him. It means we're utilizing our earthly assets wisely in order to make a kingdom impact, an eternal difference. If, like the man in today's parable, we find that our life is demanded of us today, rather than being found foolish, may we be able to quote the Apostle Paul and say, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Our treasure is not found in the things of this world. Our treasure is in its creator, our high king of heaven. That is where our treasure is found. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, help us today. Help us to stand firm against greed. Lord, help us to guard our hearts. It's so easy to get caught up in the things of this world. I feel like my daily life is inundated with all the things that I don't need, but I feel like I do. At the end of the day, Lord, you are what we need. You're the one that saves us. You're the one that rescues us. You're the one that's made it possible for us to spend an eternity with you. Help us not be like the man in today's parable. I don't want to be called a fool, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be examples of what it means to follow Christ. That you would be first in our lives, not just today, not just this week, but every day, Lord. I pray that we would get to experience the joy and the freedom that comes from serving you, from following you, from believing you, and putting all our hope and our trust in you. Keep us, Lord, from getting distracted by the things of this world. Help us to be focused on you. I love you, Lord. We give you all the honor and all the praise, not just today, but every day. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.